amendment to the constitution was brought in, I guess there were different reasons as to why it, it became part of our constitution. But um, I would say that the most immediate reason was in response to U.S. liberalism and the activist U.S. Supreme Court um, and as a result of the, the famous Roe v. Wade case, which brought abortion, uh, which made a constitutional right to abortion in America. Another, I guess, on a deeper level, um, the Eighth Amendment was an attempt for Ireland to distinguish itself on a post-colonial level um, to, to distinguish ourselves from the UK. Um, the UK had just brought in the 1967 Abortion Act, uh, which was not extended to Ireland. Um, or to Northern Ireland. And then, I guess, on the most apparent and ideological level, it was a Roman Catholic campaign. Um, so for me, the, the, the Eighth Amendment is definitely reflective of the Catholic ethos of Ireland in terms of how it's prevented women in Ireland from accessing abortion. We would have had to access abortion through illegal methods, but also a lot of women would have travelled to other countries to access abortions. But that information on how to do that was actually not very accessible until a subsequent referendum in 1992. And this is the interesting thing, I think, about the, the, the whole Eighth Amendment, is that this is technically the sixth time we've gone to the polls on abortion in Ireland. So the first referendum being that one in 1983, which inserted it into our constitution. And then we've got the second sort of time that led to three different referendums. So we had, we voted on three separate referendums at the one time in 1992. Two of them passed, one of them failed. Uh, the two that passed were an amendment to the amendment, stating that we could travel abroad to access abortion. And also that uh, we, were, we would be allowed to access information on how to travel abroad to access abortion. Um, but then we had uh, another referendum which asked, should the Eighth Amendment also mean that access to abortion wouldn't be available in the, in the case where the woman would risk suicide? And the Irish public decided to vote against that one. A similar referendum in 2002 was held where we asked again, we were asked again, should Irish women be prevented from accessing abortion if they are going to commit suicide, and that was also rejected. So now we've got this current referendum which decides whether we're going to just take out the, the Eighth Amendment completely from the Constitution and insert it with an enabling provision saying that the government has the power to legislate for access to abortion in Ireland. And look, I think that that would be a great idea because clearly we just will just keep having referendums on the issue and I don't think that uh, constitutionalising abortion laws is you know a, a good thing to do particularly as it's a healthcare issue and should be between a pregnant person and their doctor. You've mentioned there has been some reform over the years through subsequent referenda to the abortion laws but nevertheless Ireland does seem to have a very backward regime when it comes to uh, women's reproductive choices. Uh, you also mentioned the famous 1973 Roe v Wade case, which was a seminal moment not only for American women but for pro-choice campaigners throughout the Western world. And yet here we are in 2018 where under the current laws in Ireland, accessing an illegal abortion can at least theoretically get you 14 years 
in prison. The Catholic Church is a factor, and we'll come to that in a moment, but why do you think it's taken so long for Ireland to get to this point of finally attempting to, to repeal the Eighth Amendment and enshrine in law women's reproductive choices? Mm, yeah, look, I think that the current campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment is a product of 35 years of activism um, from the anti, I guess, it's, how do I describe them? What were previously known as the anti-amendment campaign, which originally uh, campaigned against inserting the Eighth Amendment into the Constitution, um, but what is now known as the Repeal the Eighth uh, campaign, well, technically it's called Together for Yes. Uh, so Together for Yes is a, a national civil society campaign that is made up of the Abortion Rights Campaign, the Coalition to Repeal the Eighth Campaign, and uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. Um, but their origins are very much in that anti-amendment campaign from 1983, and look, I, I just think that there was no real political will to remove the eighth from the constitution, um, unfortunately, until more recent years. Um, so there, there, are, there have been a myriad of cases um, that, I, that have resulted from the Eighth Amendment, um, but the most sort of uh, recent hard-hitting case that, that has led to the, I guess, uh, ratcheting up of the campaign was in 2012 the death of Savita Halapanavar and she was an Indian woman living in Ireland who was admitted to hospital I, I believe it was in October 2012 because she was she was suffering a miscarriage but it was held by I, I believe it was a nurse in the in the hospital said to her when she requested when Savita requested an abortion because you know it, it wasn't looking too well. The nurse said to her, this is a Catholic country. And I guess that's quite reflective of both how Ireland at, 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 and currently both treats women and in particular how the ACE affects migrant women in particular as well, uh, migrant women to Ireland. Um, so Savita was miscarrying for five days until she died of a septic miscarriage. And that caused like very, very, a lot of protests in Ireland, particularly in Galway, where the incident happened. And that caused the setup of um, a grassroots campaign called the Abortion Rights Campaign. And they, can, they have campaigned for free, safe and legal access to abortion since 2012 by holding an annual March for Choice uh, in Dublin. And the most recent March for Choice in 2017 attracted 40,000 uh, people in marching in Dublin, which is amazing. So I think, and sorry, also just to mention, um, so that was the kind of like activist response to to Savita, but also the Irish government said that after Savita had died, they were like, oh yes, we are tabling some legislation <laughs> on abortion to explain that legislation. So it was a legis legislation that was supposed to be brought uh, into Ireland as a result of the X case in 1992, but it took us over 20 years to actually legislate for X. And that had been a big campaign in Ireland from the 90s till 2013, basically, uh, legislate for X. Now, I'll just explain the X case really briefly. Um, that was a case whereby a 14-year-old girl had been raped by her neighbour and um, her mother said to her, look, we're, we're going to go to the UK and we'll get you an abortion because the girl had expressed to her mother that she was suicidal as a result of the, the traumatic experience and 
the attorney general found out and tried to get X to come back to Ireland. Like he was prohibiting her from traveling. Um, so that injunction was then brought to the Supreme Court of Ireland. And in the Supreme Court, they said, look, this isn't, this basically isn't right. She's, you know, she's suicidal. And that is why we had this referendum on whether Irish women would be allowed to travel for an abortion. And as I said, that's what happened in 1992. We, we allowed that to happen, which is great. So that is, so just to explain then, that particular case, we were supposed to legislate for X. We were supposed to legislate to allow for, so the Supreme Court obviously can't make the legislation. They just said, yeah, you should make legislation to allow for women who are suicidal to have abortions in Ireland or where the mother's life is at risk. Basically, that, that's the sort of broad parameters of that. Um, but the thing was, there was just no, the, the politicians just kind of sat on their laurels for 20 years until Savita's death occurred. And I guess that's what made them say, okay, now's the time to legislate for X. And with that, they brought in the 2013 Act, which is our current legislation, uh, the Protection of Life During Pregnancy, Pregnancy Act. And that legislation provides for access to abortion where the mother's life is at risk, including suicide. But in, in terms of the suicidal element, you have to be affirmed by a number of doctors until it's certified that you are going to kill yourself and therefore can have an abortion to prevent that, which I just think is completely barbaric. One of the elephants in the room, which you've already mentioned with this referendum, is, of course, the enduring power and cultural influence of the Irish Catholic Church. In the 2016 census, 78% of Irish people identified as Catholic. Nevertheless, in recent years, we've seen the church's stranglehold in the school system decline somewhat. And, of course, there's been the continuing fallout from the exposure of decades of institutionalised sexual abuse of children. How do you see the role of the Catholic Church and more broadly the Catholic faith in this referendum campaign? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question because I think the Catholic Church were very much involved in the initial um, insertion of the Eighth Amendment into the Constitution. So just to give you a brief background to that... um, as I said, it was it was a backlash from from Roe v. Wade, and uh, that brought uh, a prominent legal uh, academic, William Binchy, to the fore to set up a campaign um, called the Pro Life Amendment Campaign um, in 1981. But he was also joined by a um, a campaigner called John O'Reilly, who was a very Catholic campaigner who had campaigned against the introdu- introduction of contraception in Ireland. So and that campaign, so they they launched that campaign in 1981, and it was um, a gathering of 13 different Catholic organisations in that campaign. And um, so that you had sort of this very Catholic-based campaign on the one hand, but in the anti-amendment campaign, it would have been more so. Um, there, were, it was kind of made up of different individuals, but uh, one of them was Mary Robinson, our first president, our first female president of Ireland. Um, but then you also had uh, Sinn Féin supporting the anti-amendment campaign. You had the Workers' Party supporting the anti-amendment campaign. But significantly, you also had the Church of Ireland, the Protestant Church, supporting the anti-amendment campaign, as in to not allow the Eighth Amendment. I believe um, that uh, prominent spokespeople from the Church of Ireland had said, look, if the Eighth Amendment is brought into Ireland, that is asserting a Catholic ethos 
uh, over Ireland and, you know, that'd be quite sectarian in nature. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree that the Eighth Amendment is a very Catholic provision. Um, just to bring it back a little bit as to why um, it, it has become that way, I think it's important to highlight that the Irish Constitution itself is a very Catholic document. Um, so the Irish Constitution uh, was... Um, brought into Ireland by plebiscite in 1937. And look, constitutions are generally considered to be the document reflective of the society it governs. You know, it, complain, it proclaims that national identity of a country. And the, the two main drafters of that constitution were Eamon de Valera, who was a, a prominent uh, leader in our fight for independence, but he was also very, very Catholic. And he also played a number of key roles in setting up the Irish state in terms of he was um, our prime minister, he was also our president, he, he was basically every role you can think of in Ireland at one stage. But he was the main, one of the main drafters of the constitution. But you also had this, the other main drafter was a theologian called Charles McQuaid, and he was also the future Archbishop of Ireland. And Basically, they decided to set the foundations of what the new independent Ireland would look like, I guess, in contrast to the United Kingdom. So they thought, well, what is our, one of our defining features that isn't British? Well, we're a Catholic country. So they decided to assert a conservative Catholic narrative for Ireland. And look, that's not unusual for a post-conflict society, looking to highlight those distinctions from Britain after years of oppression. But in that process, they threw women under the bus and that's not excusable. It's not excusable at all. But it, I think it's an unfortunate characteristic of a post-colonial society. And look, it, this is one thing I'd like to highlight um, with, about our constitution. So in the preamble, it, it has a lot of stuff about God in it and how it's a Catholic country, all this sort of thing. But one key provision that I guess is maybe lesser known is that uh, De Valera and McQuaid decided to write into the constitution in 1937 that the woman has a special place in the home in Ireland, and that is still in our constitution. It's very important not to forget that, as that particular provision set the tone for an Ireland that then produced the Magdalene laundries, um, the eight, 800 babies that were found in a mass grave in Tume, in a Catholic uh, mother and baby home. You've got uh, 1,500 women who underwent forced symphysiotomy, which was a um, I don't know how to describe that. It was like a, a Catholic med medical procedure that would allow women to just bear more children, but it was like a forced breaking of a pelvis. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, you had Anne Lovett, who was a 14-year-old girl who died in a grotto shortly after the Eighth Amendment was, was brought into the Constitution. So she died, she literally died in a grotto uh, whilst delivering birth to a baby, a secret baby that... And nobody had known about and both both Anne and the baby died shortly after she did that. She felt like she had nowhere to turn because Ireland was so Catholic and it was so frowned upon. I, I guess it's just a very sad image when you think of her in the grotto. And then you also have Dr. Neary, who was a doctor in the 90s, who performed non-consensual hysterectomies on unmarried mothers in Ireland. Um, my mother herself was nearly a victim of that which, 
you know, she's very lucky that she wasn't. But basically, I was born out of wedlock. My parents are, are now married, but I was born out of wedlock to an unmarried mother. And Dr. Neer was supposed to be the uh, the doctor performing my delivery, but he was called away at the last minute. So uh, luckily, she didn't suffer that. But he he performed a lot of non-consensual hysterectomies to many unmarried mothers in the 90s in Ireland, which I just think is absolutely I'm sure you're... you're Extraordinary, How is that a thing in the 90s? What the hell? Um, it's all important to highlight, I should have highlighted that, the Magdalene Laundries, which were set up to basically house unruly women, basically your family could just send you there if you're thought to be a, like a, a girl who had a lot of male friends or, you know, or if perhaps something happened to you where you were raped by someone, you could be sent to the Magdalene Laundries. It was basically a prison for women who were forced to work in a laundry run by the nuns. And the last one closed in 1996. So it's a very... It's a very, um, you know, it's a very recent memory in a lot of a lot of people's minds at at the moment when they consider about whether they're going to repeal the Eighth Amendment. And I I just think that it's very important to note that when Ireland goes to to the polls on the 25th of May, it's important to remember we're not just voting about abortion, we're also sending a message about how Ireland actually treats women, and we're setting a tone for what we want Ireland to look like going forward. If we want to try to heal that damage that Ireland has done to Irish women throughout the years since becoming independent, I think we really must repeal the ace. Finally, Shauna Stanley, you're involved in a campaign group over East Diaspora Down Under Dollars for Choice, which is aiming to organise fundraising events throughout the country for the Together for Yes campaign. Tell us a little bit more about that and how people might be able to get involved even over here in Perth. Yeah, brilliant. So basically... Um, I'm part of a group called Melbourne Irish Abortion Rights Campaign, which is a a solidarity group um, set up to just do different events. Um, Anytime there is, say, the Irish March for Choice in Dublin, we would have our own little March for Choice gathering in Melbourne. Um, But basically, the group of us got together um, at the start of April and we decided that we wanted to do something to show that Irish people in Australia support Repeal the Eighth campaign, particularly because Irish citizens abroad cannot vote in Irish referenda because the postal votes are not available. I know that that's a thing in in Australia, as it is in, I believe, 120 other countries. But no, we don't have the postal vote uh, for Irish citizens abroad. So I guess we felt that, look, a lot of Irish citizens won't be able to travel home to vote because Australia is so far away and the cost is quite prohibitive. Um, and also, if you're not, if you've been away from, from Ireland for over 18 months, you're actually t- taken off the register and it's not legal for you to vote. So we were thinking, what is what, what way can we get the Irish in Australia to um, feel like that they can contribute to um, this, historic referendum campaign and that's where we thought of coming up with this diaspora down under dollars for choice campaign whereby we would ask Irish citizens all around Australia to host fundraisers um, in support of Cicada Fries. Look you have to be an Irish citizen to actually host a fundraiser due to the very stringent guidelines around referendum fundraising but we have let's see I think 17 events pledged at the moment. So those are events in Melbourne, Sydney, Darwin and Tasmania. 
so we're really looking for some some Irish people in Perth to get involved because uh, you know, we don't want Perth to miss out on this great opportunity to, you know, show support for everything happening at home. And there is such a big Irish diaspora community in Perth as well. So it'd be really great to get anyone involved who wants to be involved or who even wants to just do something like, um, you know, pose for a photo on a Perth beach and be like, yes, we support Repeal the Eighth. Um, it's a good morale booster for, for people at home, for all the amazing canvassers at home who are knocking door to door trying to convince you know, just everyone around Ireland to to vote to repeal the 8th. And I just think that showing that even though we're 17,000 kilometres away over in Australia, we still care about Ireland and we want Ireland to be a place that we want to return to in the future. We want it to be a place that gives full bodily autonomy to women. And that's why I think it's important for the diaspora to get behind this issue.